0: We're going to be in Psalm 100 today. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up today. We're going to be verses 1 through 5. We're going to read this out loud together. We're going to pray and we're going to dive right in. Amen, church? Amen. Here's what the word of the Lord says Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Let's pray. Father, we've just opened up your word. Now, Lord, we know that your word is alive and active, and it's sharper than any two edged sword. Now, Father, we ask that uh, you would speak to us, speak to me. Uh, Lord, let your words ring louder than even the words that I have planned. So, Father, if you have something you want to speak, I ask that you would speak it through me. Lord, I pray that the message that's about to go out wouldn't fall on deaf ears, but that we would all be receptive uh, to your voice and that we would hear what you're calling us to do and we would respond and move towards you. And it's in your son's name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, one of my all-time favorite books is by one of my all-time favorite authors named Andy Andrews. He was actually here in Paducah a couple of two, three, maybe four years ago. Here in Paducah, he was speaking at the Carson Center, and I had the chance to go listen to him. And it was man, he's just incredible. He's an incredible author, an incredible speaker. He's really crazy if you know him. Like he's got did-da-d really bad, but he is just a phenomenal author, and I love all of his books and. One of my favorite books of all time, like I said, is one of his, and it's called The Noticer. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've heard of this book. I I encourage you to read it. It's such a great book, The Noticer. And this book, it follows a man by the name Jones, just Jones. He doesn't have a last name in this book. He just goes by Jones. He shows up in this small town in Orange Beach, Alabama, and he has this unique ability to notice things that everybody else seems to not. So as you read this book, throughout the book, he encounters various people going through various challenges and and struggles and uh, difficult decisions. And what he does is he notices things and he offers them perspective that often shapes the way that they proceed with whatever they are facing. Jones says in the book, his quote, In desperate times, much more than anything else, folks need perspective. For perspective brings calm, calm. Calm leads to clear thinking, clear thinking yields new ideas, and ideas produce the bloom of an answer. Keep your head and heart clear. Perspective can just as easily be lost as it can be found. So why do I share this? because we're in this series uh, as a church where we're going through our core values of who God is calling us to be and, and what he wants us to hold as, as like pillars of our belief system here as, as Church 419. And today we're focusing on the idea and our core value that gratitude shapes our perspective. And I'm sure there's so many different angles that we can approach this value and and talk about this in, in different things. But I believe that the Lord has given me some things for us to lean in today that can help us grasp the true meaning of gratitude and the true meaning of perspective and how we can take these two different thoughts and combine them together to live closer to God. And for many of us, I think it's not always the problem that makes us ungrateful, but it's our perspective of our problem. And that's where we first get off. And the more I learn about God, the more I come to understand that my gratitude often hinges on the level of my perspective. It could be my perspective of of who God is. It could be my perspective of what's going on around me. It it could even be my perspective of, of who I am my identity in Christ. Because when my identity in Christ and when your identity in Christ gets off and your perspective of who God sees you as is off, everything around you is gonna seem chaotic. And as we just read in our passage today, the psalmist is encouraging the people of God to sing and shout to the Lord. And by doing so, what they're doing is expressing gratitude. And I believe that there's a lot of power in perspective. In the noticer, Jones could shed some light on everybody's perspective by offering them a different perspective. Like they would be going through something. He'd say, hey, have you ever thought about this? And they go, oh, man, no, I've I've never thought about like that. He could clear up any confusion, any frustration by just making this simple statement or asking them something that they hadn't otherwise thought of. Jesus in Luke 13, he was telling this parable that focused on perspective. It says this in verse 6. Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been one single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, Give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention. Some, some versions say right there, I'll dig around in the soil around its roots. I'll give it plenty of fertilizer. If it gets figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. You see, the man who planted the fig tree wanted to give up on the tree because he hadn't seen any production of the figs. The gardener had probably probably been the one that had been tending that tree all three years. His perspective provided hope that the barren tree still had perspective. If you remember in that, that quote that I read you by Jones, he said, it's the perspective that often brings the bloom." The gardener's like, man, I've spent three years on this plan. I don't want to, I don't waste three years of my effort on this just to cut this tree down. I have to believe that this this tree can produce. Come on, isn't there anybody in here today that's grateful that the Lord's perspective of you and your potential isn't based on the opinion of somebody else? That God says, yeah, but let me dig around in this person's life. Let me give them some special attention. Let me give them some life through my word. Give me a year with this person and watch what I can do to bring life out of this dead thing. You know what? Give me just one moment and I can change everything about this person and watch what fruit that I can produce in them because I'm God and my perspective is not like everybody else's. God did not just take the time to form you in your, your mother's womb and watch you walk through life and then stop Just because you haven't started producing anything fruitful yet in your life. God says he does not just see you as you are right now, but he sees you as you should be. Because perspective is not just about what you see, it's about how you see. We got to get our perspective right. You see, the man who planted the seed only saw the absence of the production. The one who tended the tree saw the potential of the tree. God sees you how you can be, not just how you are currently. But because you don't see yourself the way that God sees you, you aren't living at the level of your, your potential. You're living at the level of your perspective. That's causing you not to produce anything fruitful in your life. So don't allow the level of your perspective to cloud the level of your potential. How about this? Right after Jesus In this same chapter, same, the next verse, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and it says that he heals a lady on the Sabbath, starting in verse 11. He's teaching, Jesus saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God, but the Lord in charge of the the leader uh, in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working. He he told everybody in the crowd, "Come on those days to be healed. Don't don't come on this Sabbath day." But the Lord replied, "You hypocrites! Each of y'all, you work on the Sabbath day. Don't you guys wake up? Don't you untie your ox?" Or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and you lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? So here's Jesus healing on a day that from the perspective of the religious leaders was blasphemous. Even the people in the crowd, they were probably going, oh my gosh, Jesus just did this thing on the Sabbath. We don't, we're not supposed to do any kind of work on the, on this day. This lady had been crippled for over 18 years. She wasn't tripping because Jesus healed her on the Sabbath. It said that she praised God. She expressed some gratitude for the healing that she just experienced in her body, her gratitude for what Jesus did shaped her perspective of the day and that's not the only perspective that was being offered it says that the leader as we just read the leader of the synagogue was trying to trap Jesus with the law Jesus is like bro you and everybody else in here, y'all literally work every Sabbath. You use effort to untie your ox. You use energy to fight that stubborn thing as, as you lead it to water. And then you fight that thing as you try to lead it back to the stall. You try to get it through the gate. You use energy to tie it up. You do all of these things to provide for your livestock on the Sabbath. Listen, you, you can ask any dairy farmer in here today. I don't know if we got any dairy farmers in our church. But if you know a dairy farmer, ask them. Cows don't take Thanksgiving and Christmas off for vacation. They don't do that. They don't milk themselves. Somebody has to go out there and milk them. The work has to be done. The leaders of this synagogue, they should have been grateful that they had a front row seat to seeing the power of God manifesting right before their very eyes. Church, gratitude shapes our perspective. And yes, I I get it. Culturally, it was challenging to accept the fact that Jesus had healed on a day that had probably been driven and beat into not just this guy's head, but everybody that was listening to Jesus teach that day. It had probably been drilled in their head for years and years, ever since they were a child, to believe that it was wrong to do something on the Sabbath like he had just done for, uh, for healing this woman. But if he and all these other people had been grateful for the miraculous healing of this woman, then his perspective also would have changed. Because here's the thing that I want you to get, gratitude doesn't deny the existence of challenges. Instead, it changes how we navigate them. It changes it. That goes back back to perspective. Like I said, there's no doubt that this was a tough situation for Jesus to navigate. But Jesus's perspective of her need for healing, her need of love and forgiveness, it dictated how he navigated the challenge. You hear what I'm saying? Are y'all getting anything out of this church? Look, I need you to look at your neighbor and just say, I needed some perspective. There, yeah, now we're waking up. I know it's rainy, church. Come on. <laughs> Let's lean into the word today. Let's get back to our psalm. Let's look at verse four. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Here's our thanksgiving verse. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. I want you guys to picture this. Just imagine with me. When we come into church On Sundays, we're not just merely strolling into God's presence. We're entering his gates with a heart full of thanksgiving. That's what we're doing. We're not just haphazardly coming in here and be like, okay, I hope it's, gonna, hope it's gonna be a good day. No, when you pull up in that parking lot and you get out of your car, and I've heard so many of y'all say before, man, I, as I'm walking up, I just, it feels so good here. Something seems different here. I just have this sense of happiness. When you, when you have that, you should want to jump and shout because you realize that you're about to be a, in a room full of some other people who believe and are experiencing that same joy that you're feeling in that moment. And when those double doors back there open up and worship kicks off, our praise, it should ignite something inside of us that moves us to action. It should create an outward expression of our inward gratitude. It's not, ooh, I'm so happy today. Alex is singing my favorite song. Actually, I heard it on the radio just a couple of days ago, and it's so great. I can finally sing and lift my hands. No, it's, ooh, I'm entering into God's house today. He's been so good to me, even in the tough moments this week. I'm about to give him some thanks. I'm about to give him some praise. I'm about to glorify his name because he has been good to me. Church, we have to move away from this stance of I'll be grateful when things make me happy and everything lines up because it's not happiness that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us happy. Amen. You see the perspective shift? Amen. It's all about perspective. And maybe, maybe you didn't catch that one. I'll put it to you another way in context of this verse. Maybe your gratitude could be the very key that unlocks the gate to your happiness. But because you're not grateful, you're not experiencing the happiness that God has for you. And listen, once you have that shift in your your perspective of what gratitude is, Entering his gates no longer becomes this, this timid entrance. It becomes a grand entrance where every single step, every single handshake, every single song, every single sermon, I'm going to be giving God the glory that he deserves. I'm going to be praising his name because he's worthy of it. I'm going to express my gratitude because my gratitude shapes my perspective of everything around me. But here's the kicker. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle of giving thanks and praising his name. And I get it. We just had Thanksgiving. We just celebrated it a couple of days ago. But gratitude isn't a seasonal trend. It's a daily rhythm. It's not something that we talk about just one time a week or one time a year. It's nothing like that. We don't just focus on gratitude, on thanksgiving. We should be daily giving thanks to God in our prayers, in our conversations, at our job, with our kids, with our spouses. Why should we do that? Because verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And His faithfulness continues to each generation. Church, if gratitude is our daily rhythm, then this verse shows us that God's love and his faithfulness is also a daily rhythm. Twice in one sentence, it says continues. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Continues. We love to sing. I think we sang it last week, didn't we, Alex? The goodness of God. I think we sang that last week. Have you ever stopped to think that God isn't just good, but he's the kind of good that sets standards? That the goodness of God has been consistent all throughout history. He has never once wavered on the standard of goodness on which he himself set. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. It is not this one-time thing. It is ongoing. The goodness of God, it defines every single aspect of who he is. And this one verse right here is a testament of the perspective of the psalmist. And not only that, but the Hebrew word that he uses there for the word love is the word hased, And hased is used as a characteristic of God over 120 times throughout the Bible. So when we read this verse, it's making this statement that not only is God both good and loving, but no generation has known God to be unfaithful. So that should give us some confidence. And when we move to the New Testament, the equivalent of that love and that faithfulness, we see that and that's found in Jesus, his son, who came to this earth to die for you. From Adam to Eve, from you to me, God has been moving. He's been faithful. He's been loving From generation to generation to generation. And after we're dead and we're gone, God's still going to be good. He's still going to be faithful because his love endures forever. It's like this endless string of yarn that God has just been woven in and out of creation all throughout history. It's like this unbroken chain of God's promises that has stood every test of time, every tension of doubt, every war, every famine, every loss, every everything that people have doubted God on. Through it, all God's people have been able to write songs like, like it is well with my soul. People have continued to preach of his love. They didn't just preach of, of oh, doom and gloom Jesus. No, they preach of his love because the gates of hell will never be able to prevail. They have never once prevailed against the church because our God reigns, our God is sovereign, our God is good, and his love endures forever and his faithfulness will continue from generation to generation. That's a God who's worthy of our gratefulness. Amen. Now, I went to verse four and I went to verse five and I skipped verse three, but I want to go back to verse three. Is that okay with y'all? It says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. If gratitude shapes our perspective, then that means that there's an aspect of effort that comes along with gratitude. Y'all know what I'm saying. Maybe y'all do. (laughs) There's nothing worse than a spoiled brat that thinks that they're entitled to everything, right? Can we agree with that? We're entitled to nothing. We weren't entitled to God sending his son to die for our sins. None of that. The world is broken and full of sin. It's only by the grace of God and the son of God that we're able to dodge hell and declare heaven. We as Christians, we should be the farthest, the farthest from being entitled because we owed a debt that we could not pay for. Romans 3, 21 and 27 says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shed his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. There's his goodness. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. It goes back to that story that Jesus was saying in Luke. Actually, not even a story. It really happened. The one of the lady being healed on the Sabbath, he healed her not based on the law, but based on faith. Just like the psalmist said in verse three, you have to acknowledge that the Lord is God. You have to acknowledge that he made you. If anybody ever questions you on your faith, and well, okay, you say you're a Christian, but how can you really know that God is real? Here's what you do. It's really... Simple, I don't even know if this is an apologetic stance or not, but this is just redneck Jace going to tell you what what to do with them. Wait till nighttime, take them outside, take their face like this, my bad sound people, lift their eyes up to the sky, and you say, look, you see those stars, you see that Milky Way, you see that moon, you see the sky. What man has ever made that? What person do you know has ever made a moon? What person do you know has ever made a star? They're not going to have an answer for that. And when you ask them that, then you can say, if we've never done any of that, how can we boast in ourselves? How can we not believe that God is real? Because according to Romans 1.20, since the creation of time, God's visible and invisible qualities have been clearly seen to all of mankind so that no man is with an excuse. And what that means is in the sky, in the stars, in the, in the trees, in the wind, all of those visible and invisible things. And when I first understood that, it shaped my entire perspective of who God is, that he's not just God, but he's creator God, that if he created that, then he created me. Now, when I'm outside in his creation and I'm sitting around a fire or I'm looking up at the stars and I see all these things, it makes me so grateful that if God is big enough to create all of that, it means he's loving enough to take the time to create someone like me and someone like you. It's incredible. We should be in awe of that. Gratitude isn't some task that God is demanding of us. It's a spiritual discipline that's healthy for our hearts. When's the last time that you sat down and you just clearly expressed to God all the things that you're grateful for? Have you done that? And if gratitude needs to become a spiritual discipline, then that means we have to be intentional about the things we're grateful for. Now, if you noticed, I left you a little paper plate on your seat. I actually, it shouldn't be in your seat. It should be in the back or underneath of the seat in front of you. I told Miss Amy. and Miss Amy was getting a, a team together to help me put these out. And I, I joked with her. I was like, put them, in this, put them in the seat. I go, wait. No, maybe we should put it in the back of the seat because I've seen some of y'all before. Y'all have a lot of faith. Y'all just be plopping down with every, without ever looking where y'all are sitting. I've seen y'all sit on communion cups. You're like, oops, I got a communion cup all on my leg. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, y'all just, y'all are crazy. So wisdom says, hey, just put it in the back of the seat. Anyways, back on track, sorry. But we just celebrated Thanksgiving this week, and hopefully we all had an opportunity to gather around tables with friend, family and and friends, and for some of us, we were happy to be around the people we hadn't seen in a while. We were grateful that we got to, to be with them. For others, Thanksgiving was a sad day because it was the first big holiday without a certain loved one. For many of us, if you were like me, <laughs> you were just looking to forward to Thanksgiving being over so you could go Black Friday shopping. Yeah, yeah I'm that guy. I just out of myself. But I think we can all agree that we were all grateful for that plate full of food. We all shoveled probably multiple times uh, on Thursday. Come on, all you Thanksgiving overeaters can say amen to that, it's okay. But I wanna offer us some perspective today. In the same way we can pile our plates full of turkey, ham, stuffing, gravy, desserts, yams, so on and so on, I wonder if we actually have the capacity on our plate to pile on everything that we should actually be grateful for. So today, class, I want us to take a few moments out of the sermon today for us to exercise our gratitude. Because remember, gratitude is a spiritual discipline that's healthy for our hearts. And this is going to be way healthier than that three pound of stuffing that you ate and probably still haven't pooped out. (laughs) Y'all are listening. This is good. This is good. But I want y'all to grab that plate and grab a pen that's in front of you. And I want you to just take a few moments as the band plays to just start writing down everything that you're grateful for. I want you to fill that plate up. I wrote everything. I centered everything around Jesus because I'm grateful for Jesus. And I just want you to put everything, that you, the big things, little things, all the things that you can think of, fill up every, every little bit of this paper plate of things that you're grateful for. Thank you for my wife, my son, my salvation, my house, my God's calling. Thank you for my small group, my in-laws. I got two running vehicles. Thank you for good finances, good health. Thank you for a heated steering. Grandma, for my grandma's, my mother. Except for hearts. Food in our pantry. Come on, write everything down that you can think of. Express some gratitude. Nothing else fit for me. Except for our hearts. Hopefully you were able to fill your plate up with all kinds of things to be grateful for, and you can keep writing, please do. But hopefully this helps bring some perspective to some things that maybe you had taken for granted and hadn't really thought of. Because you see, sometimes all it takes is a, little, di- a d- little discipline. But like Jones said, sometimes all it takes is a little perspective. Sometimes we have to write these things down so we can actually visualize it and see it. And maybe some of the things that you wrote down, they seem like small stuff, but don't take for granted the small stuff because it's the small stuff that actually makes up the bigger stuff. Don't let the world teach you to keep your eyes on the bigger prize or on the bigger picture because, like I said, it's those small things that are going to create the bigger things. And sometimes the Lord is going to speak to you in a still, small voice where your devotion to God allow you to hear the voice of God i put it to you in a principle that maybe will help you remind, r- remember is that simple disciplines lead to deeper devotions yeah. that if you can take a simple spiritual discipline like writing down things that you're grateful for, doing that regularly taking time out of your schedule to express gratefulness to God then it's going to lead to a deeper devotion that allows you to hear from God So here's what I believe that the Lord wants us to do today. I just want us all to go ahead and stand. It's a little different than how we normally end. I want us all to stand. Hopefully everyone in here wrote something down. And Alex is going to lead us in gratitude. And I believe what God wants us to do is I I believe he wants us to lean into his unwavering love, his unwavering faithfulness. I believe he wants us to stand here in gratitude that he has done all of this for us and all the things that he will do. And maybe you're in here today, maybe you've never acknowledged the Lord as your savior. I'm going to go ahead and I'm asking the prayer team to go ahead and come to the front of the stage, Not, not at the end like we normally do. But maybe you're here today and you need to respond. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ and when Alex starts singing what I want you to do if you're that person I want you to just go I want you to move I want you to go ask them to pray over you I want you to just cry out to God if you need to bring whoever you came here with today so you feel a little bit more current just come down let's get this right he already bought you with the price he died on that cross for you let's get it right with God today so right now as Alex sings i just want you to lift that plate up i just want you to lift it up high as just a sign of lord i'm grateful